Greetings, dear listeners. Thomas Gloom here. As I mentioned in my interview with Jamie Stewart, what you are about to hear is a story from his upcoming collection, I Hear the Clattering of the Keys and Other Fever Dreams. This is a tragic little tale focused on obsession and what it can do to the human mind if left unchecked. You can grab this collection in November, but in the meantime, Jamie and I hope you enjoy this sneak peek. So settle back and let this spooky story envelop you. And please, remember to leave a light on. I Hear the Clattering of the Keys by Jamie Stewart Read by Thomas Gloom 1. It's not my fault what happened. It's Emily's. She bought the damn thing. If it hadn't been for her, the typewriter would have never entered into our lives, and I wouldn't have had to slit her throat while she stood at the stove coaxing me to make dinner with her. We used to cook together all the time. I'd mostly be in charge of prepping the vegetables, which was probably why I was so neat with the blade, when I swept it across the soft, pale flesh under her chin. I still remember feeling the lack of resistance as my arm performed the action that brought a spray of crimson onto the kitchen countertops. It was as easy as slicing through butter that at first I thought I hadn't even touched her. If it hadn't been for that shower, I would have shoved my fingers back into Emily's copper hair and yanked it back, exposing her neck once more. Thankfully, I had it needed to. Her blood was the color of dark wine, splashing over her clothes, her arms, which began to tremble uncontrollably, the stainless steel of the stove, even the gray tiles in the wall we had put in ourselves after moving in. Her mouth had been wide then, forming a perfect O that I recognized instantly as her cum face. Not that I saw it often. And that's not to say we didn't have plenty of sex. We did. Or that most of our sex was bad. It wasn't. It's just that there were only a few times that I can recall where I made my girlfriend make that perfect O. I'd look up from between her legs my lips and chin soaked by her juices, to see that look, and I'd fill with pride for having provided my lover with such pleasure. To see it on her face, as her life's blood gushed out of her, filling the kitchen area with the scent of hot metal, struck me as both odd, yet somehow informative. The first time she had ever made that face, I thought I had hurt her. I had, for a terrible moment, thought I was killing her. I cared. When I turned the love of my life into a fountain, I felt nothing. I was back in front of the typewriter before Emily hit the floor. 2. The typewriter was originally a birthday gift from Emily. You see, when we first met, I told her I wanted to be a writer. A bestseller, like Stephen King or... J.K. Rowling, without the scandalous tweets. Years had passed by since then. Emily and I had fallen in love, argued, made up, and moved in together. 
I even helped her cope with the estrangement she experienced from her father after she tried to introduce us both. It wasn't until the screaming started that I realized James Harper had no idea his only daughter was gay. I must confess, it was also a pretty shitty way to discover that he didn't know as well. He got over that hump after a month of me being emotionally there for her while still resenting the fact that I had been put in that situation. That was Emily, though. She was such an avoider of conflict. She would happily bury her head in the sand by binging some Netflix show or scrolling on her phone, then deal with anything difficult. She was just so soft, delicate. I love that about her, even though it sometimes caused friction. I loved being the strong one. Me, Sabrina Kyle, 29 years old, 5 foot 4, 9 stone, dripping wet. Of course I love being considered the strong one. The problem with being in a relationship is that some of the other person's traits bleed over. This is how, after all the time together, I was no closer to accomplishing my ambition as a writer than I was on our first date. I guess I'm saying that's Emily's fault as well. Do you need to do that now? She would ask from the sofa, bare feet tucked up beneath her desirable rump, her green eyes near luminous with reproach. Do you have to write? I haven't seen you all day. Come sit with me. We've still got four episodes of Tiger King to watch. And the remote would be in her hand, her fingers already gliding to the program. Seconds later, I would hear the voices from the show that somehow all sounded like they should be on a cartoon, not a documentary. And I would feel the tug from my writing desk, our kitchen table, and our flat. Eventually, I would give in to temptation, slap my laptop screen closed, and trundle over to her, curling my petite frame against her plumper one. There would be a brief fit of restlessness in me as my mind lingered on the sound my fingers would have been making over the computer keys. Then my brain would sink into the stupor of the show, my body relaxed by the presence of my partner until the night had passed by and it was time for bed. Time to do the whole working day again, only for me, it was a day less on this earth. A day where I was no closer to my dream, leaving me feeling hollowed out, except for my resentment. But that isn't why I killed Emily in the end. No. That was because of the typewriter. Because of the clattering of the keys. She didn't buy the thing out of malice, like she was insulting me for not fulfilling my proclamation all those years ago. Nor because she knew what it would do. How could she? She bought it because she believed in me. Even though her neediness took up most of my time, even though my creativity was spent not on writing stories, but appearing to for Instagram, even though the majority of my followers had stopped liking and commenting on my posts, probably suspecting the truth that I stopped producing years ago. Emily still reacted to my post. Loyal. Supportive. Blind Emily. When she placed that huge cardboard box in front of me at the kitchen table surrounded by our friends, 
arms straining with effort, her beaming face illuminated by the flickering glow cast by my birthday candles, the only motivation on her face was one that aimed to please. Happy birthday, babe, she had said, removing the box which had a hollowed-out button to reveal the royal. It was the same type of typewriter that Ian Fleming had, only his had been gold-plated. This was made of dull iron that had rusted in several of the keys like the scrum you find in shower tiles. I recognized it instantly as belonging in the window of the antique place, found treasures on our block. There were more than a few times that Emily had caught me staring into the shop window as if transfixed by the typewriter. This is amazing, I had cried, my eyes watering. That was when I was still me, when I could feel something other than the white-hot sensation of inspiration, of propulsion in my mind. Go on, then, Emily had nudged. Write something. Our friends echoed Emily's words with further encouragement. To me, they look like faces from a dream now. Can't even remember their names. There was already a blank sheet of paper scrolled into the roller of the machine. My fingers struggled to depress the first key, but soon found fluidity. I scraped my seat in close, smelling the scent of the thing for the first time, a cocktail of ink, rust, dust, and metal that reminded me of that scene in the Titanic when the engines begin to rotate. I typed two words the machine clacking them out almost with a wheeze, hammering the letters onto the blank sheet as if with metal fingers. I wrote, Thank you. They were the first. More, much more, would come later. Three. I suppose you're wondering why I am writing this confessional, especially if I claim to no longer feel anything. And why is it typed out on my laptop? The answer is this. Someone came knocking on my door. They were lucky, too. If I had been in the throes of one of my writing sessions, I wouldn't have heard anything. As it was, I had just finished. The factory inside my skull, the one responsible for the page count on my desk, was cooling down, turning my brain into what felt like sour mush. I was on the way to the kitchen to down some painkillers to quell the inevitable migraine that follows each session when I realized that the hammering I could hear wasn't just in my temples. It was coming from the front door. I stared at it, unbelieving because whoever was knocking could only have come for me. Because beyond that front door was a road that was little more than dirt that snaked along a mountainside of sheer rock faces and spectacular drops. There were other properties on it, but the cabin I was now in was the last. After murdering Emily, I had abandoned our flat in the city months ago for this haven to write undisturbed. The thunderous knocking continued. Three dull raps. Boom. 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 Who's there? I called, figuring it would be the police. I briefly considered arming myself with a kitchen blade, then thought it didn't matter anyway. The work was done, 
I had signed a contract with a publishing company for the three novels that I had written over the last two months, while a dozen others begged for me to reconsider their offers. Even if what I did to Emily became newsworthy, they would still fight over my unfinished work. Such thinking in mind, I stepped toward the door, temples pounding. Halfway there, I learned that my assumptions were wrong, as the voice on the other side of the door shouted, It's James. It took me a few seconds to realize that I recognized the man's curt voice. I was like that nowadays. My brain had no space in it for reality, only story. The man on the other side was Emily's father, James Harper. To be fair, the last time I had heard him speak, he had been shouting. I thought momentarily of retrieving a knife, the pain in my temples easing, soothing as whatever controlled me poked its head up. I didn't hear the typewriter then, like when I had swiped the knife through Emily's throat. I felt guided by a presence, similar to an instinctive hunch that turns out right. It told me I wouldn't need a weapon, but to answer the door. I complied immediately, throwing back the locks and yanking the wooden rectangle wide, causing the air outside to breeze past me. The cool, fresh scent of pine made me aware I hadn't showered in days. The way James Harper's face cringed confirmed it was noticeable. The muscles beneath his nose and eyes blanched in recoil. Though part of his reaction could have been due to the state of my clothes. Not only was I wearing my shortest jean shorts and a wife beater that had become a little revealing due to the weight loss I was experiencing, they were also days old, unwashed, and food-stained. Already, the presence was encouraging my mind to create ideas of how to put this to use. That's what it did, you see. It was never the source of my stories, so if you've read any of them, know that all came from me. All the typewriter did was give me the support I needed to fully realize them. Hi, Mr. Harper, I said. The skin beneath his mud-colored eyes tightened. The man those eyes belonged to was squat and beefy as if he had been compressed at one point in his life. His flesh could not be defined by simple anatomical terms to me. Instead, he seemed made up of slabs of red meat bound in sausage skin. Even though he was an inch taller than me, and I am no giant, even though his body was mostly flab from what I could assess from his clothes, which were much too tight, there was a sense of hostility from him, a kind of don't bullshit me or there'll be trouble attitude. It was the way the muscles gripped his muddy eyes, their flare ferocious and unmerciful, as if in a permanent accusing stare. That threatening rage radiated throughout him, turning his sausage skin crimson, his flesh posed on the brink of committing some act of violence. This is what I had thought on meeting him all those years ago. And it's what I thought now, on my doorstep. I've come looking for Emily. Is she here? He said. Not so much a question as a demand to know. 
Those wild eyes were already roaming the cabin behind me. I ignored his question, noticing how he stood on the toes of his feet, realizing that this was a troll of a human being before me. His body language said he would have shoved me aside without thought to get what he wanted. We were supposed to meet for coffee weeks ago, and she never showed. This one sentence informed me that Emily hadn't cut all ties with him like she had said. I could see them meeting up for secret rendezvous in coffee shops, maybe even shopping trips, where James Harper always footed the bill. I could see the awkward chess moves that their conversation underwent as they ignored the fact that Emily would rather have a woman between her legs than some guy's cock. I didn't care. My only thoughts were on what I was going to do with him. I've been texting and phoning her with no answer, he ranted on. I thought maybe she got a new phone and hadn't bothered to give me the number. You know how ditzy she is. Then I checked her work, and not only hadn't they seen her, but she hadn't even given her notice. Where is she? And there it was. No, I'm sorry for being such a homophobic cunt. Just... Tell me what I need to know now. Like all that mattered in the universe was his needs. I wasn't surprised. Not only do people like James Harper never change, they are also incapable of seeing change as a possibility. Emily isn't here, I said. Well, where is she then? He snapped, the bald dome of his head reddening. The memory of a sound returned to me. The crack an apple's flesh makes as it is bitten into. It was also the noise the last few tendons had made as I pried Emily's head from her shoulders on the floor of our kitchen apartment before plopping it inside a black bag. We broke up a while ago now, I informed him. I could see that this was such a surprise for him that the rage in his eyes was momentarily extinguished. His upper body recoiled slightly from the news as if an insect had just buzzed in front of his face. You did? Yes, we did, I confirmed. The presence in my mind was fully alert by then, knowing where it wanted this interaction to go. We broke up two months ago. We gave up the flat. I moved out here because my job wasn't working for me. Yes, I heard you didn't even hand your notice in as well. You just quit on the spot, he remarked distantly. So it seemed he had been doing his homework on me as well as Emily. He didn't seem to be aware of this admission. So why are you staying here at Emily's grandmother's place? I could see his shock turning to confusion. A confusion that stirred the enraged state this troll seemed to permanently live in. The old part of me... The part that would have shouted in this man's face that this was Emily's cabin now, that her grandmother had left it to her and only her, rumbled listlessly inside me. I was tempted to correct him, but knew that it would only enrage the beast and hinder my plans. She offered it to me until I got back on my feet. There was no inflection in my voice other than quiet appreciation. James Harper was ignoring me again. His eyes roamed my chest without seeing. 
His confusion was morphing into an understanding. If I didn't know where his daughter was, then who did? This was worse than he realized. I read all of this on his defeated expression, his hunched shoulders. I haven't heard from her since we broke up. I thought she was just giving me space, moving on. You know, I don't know where she could be. Sawing through the bones in Emily's arms had sounded like sawing through rock, rock that yielded to the teeth of the hacksaw I had used. The wooden boards beneath her had become a pool of viscous blood and meaty gristle by then. Sometimes my bare feet had slipped in that sticky soup as I had proceeded to dismember my girlfriend's corpse. I put each part of her into black bags, which I tossed into various rivers as I made the journey in my jeep to our cabin. So I was telling the truth. I didn't know where she was, thanks to the currents of those waterways. Why don't you come inside? I offered, sweetly. The troll nodded his flabby head, entering past me. As I closed the door, I noted that the sun was setting on the mountain range opposite a jagged ridge of blue-gray rock that was covered in a pelt of pine trees. It splashed a wave of yellow light across the cabin's dooryard, part of a natural plateau where the wooden building I had made my nest for the last two months rested. You couldn't see the edge from the doorway, not with that light, but I knew it was there. A drop of perhaps thousands of feet into the valley below. I spotted the troll's car, a brand new Mercedes, beside my dirt-encrusted jeep. I closed the front door, a smirk tugging at the corners of my lips. Four. You're probably wondering how this all started. And I realize that to go back is to tell my story out of sync. Fuck it. I don't have the time to edit. The keys won't let me. Plus, non-linear stories are all in these days. Just look at the films by Christopher Nolan, for God's sake. It started after our friends had left, and we had fucked each other into the black oblivion sleep becomes after a really good lay. I woke up to find it wasn't quite dawn that our apartment was filled not with darkness, but a queer grayness. I woke because of a sound that permeated that oblivion Emily had sent me into. It was the sound of a machine, an old, perhaps even ancient one, whose gears have grown rusty like mummified bones trying to work. It had a stop-start quality to it, like an old engine trying to turn over. I sat up, scratching my head thinking there wasn't much chance of going back to sleep now, so I left Emily to her slumber. I found the typewriter still sitting on the kitchen table below two windows that let in that gray light amongst the detritus of my birthday party, old cups and dirty plates. It reminded me of a toad, or some sort of low creature that can spring forth at great speed over a great distance. The effect was so staggering, I backed up a step, expecting it to do just that. It didn't. It remained seated on the table, with the page that I typed the words, Thank you, still in it. The noise came to me again, of gears struggling to work, only this time I recognized it. 
It had been the noise the typewriter had made as I hammered its ancient keys for the first time in front of all our friends. They weren't here now, just it and I, in the quiet that can only be found at pre-dawn. There wasn't even the sound of a drunk staggering home in the streets outside. Nothing. Like the world had ceased turning except for it and I. I padded toward it, my bare feet transmitting the floor cold into me. It looked slicker in the gloom, its metal surface oiled and waxed to catch what little light there was. I pulled out the chair, careful not to scrape the legs and wake my beloved, and took a pew before it, my fingers caressing the keys. They, too, were cold. At the time, I thought it was my imagination, and have since come to learn it was not. I got a sense of willingness, of hunger, beneath those keys. There was fresh paper beside the typewriter with crumbs of birthday cake on it. I snatched the thank you page from the machine, tossed it aside where it seesawed to the floor, inserted a fresh one, and began to type. Five. Why are you naked? Emily asked some time later. I jumped, almost spilling out of my chair. Careful now, she cried, laughing. I wasn't. The woman had almost given me a heart attack. For whatever length of time it had been since I had first sat down in front of the royal, a window had opened in my mind and above the page. Framing that window had been that queer gray light of pre-dawn. As I shot to my feet, I discovered that it had changed, that our apartment was now filled with radiant gold from the sun that had risen between the apartment buildings outside. The sudden change, for it was sudden to me, disorientated my brain that was still occupied by imagery from the story I had been writing. I looked to Emily, who stared at me bemused, seemingly already dressed for work. I hadn't even heard her get up, or the sound of the shower that she had surely used as I smelt the relaxing scent of fresh soap and her lemon shampoo. It made me realize I smelt slightly sour, drinking in her clean fragrance like I had been going rancid as I churned out the words. There was no odor of perfume, no deodorant, just cleanness from her. Why are you out here? she asked, looking between the royal and me. She had spoken innocently, with good humor, still, that didn't stop my rage rising from within me like acidic bile. I wanted to hook my nails into the soft dough of her face and dig in until blood spurted out, dousing my hands. I wanted to hear her scream as I yelled, Can't you see I'm working? That I'm doing the thing I've always wanted to do? That you've been keeping me from? With your sloth and your love? Digging. Digging with my fingers until the air before my eyes was a red mist. My nails scraping bone. A hand clasped my bicep. It was hers. Hey, are you okay? She asked. The rage was gone, vanished as quickly as it had come, leaving me feeling the cold stalks that my legs had become. My entire body was goose flesh, shivering like one big tuning fork. Jesus, you're freezing. 
She wrapped her arms around me, her hands rubbing heat into my shoulders and back. All she did was stir skin that felt coated in bee stings. I looked down at the royal. A mound of pages sat on either side of it. On the left, they were blank. On the right, they were inked with words. The first story I had written in months. Not only that, I knew it was the best thing I had ever written. A window hadn't just opened in my mind, but a section of it, the part where stories come from, had felt converted into a factory production line whose sole purpose was to keep that window open. Like the royal itself, it had been sluggish to start. Then it seemed to find its groove, smoothing out. I didn't mind Emily's interruption too much because the factory had been winding down then, the story finishing. I had never completed one from start to end in one session. I stared at the typewriter. Its iron looked even more polished now, like fresh oil. I stared, and it seemed to stare back. Six. All of that blurred through my head by the time I had shut the cabin door and found James sinking into one of the living room sofas, as if after a hard day's work. He clutched a can of Coke retrieved from the fridge without asking could he have one. So she let you squat here? He said, again not looking at me. His attentions were on opening the Coke can and bringing it to his lips. Of course, he acted this way even though the cabin had been given to Emily, not him. James was the type that never entered a situation he couldn't lord something over you. His entire countenance was that this was all his. I watched his Adam's apple work as he drank. The skin there would be more resistant than Emily's had been after decades of shaving, I imagined. I didn't answer just seated myself on the edge of the sofa opposite his. They were both large, deep things of comfort designed to suck you in once you sat. I wanted to be able to move quickly, should the occasion call for it. I spoke with your old landlord. He said you spoke to him about ending your lease. He slurped from his can, this time looking at me for the first time. It was then that I learned what his eyes reminded me of, despite their muddy color. They were like cat's eyes, forever on the lookout for weakness. I did. I had to. You know Emily. She was never good with dealing with stuff like that. He said when you were leaving, you said that you were doing so together. Well, fuck. My head whirled right then to see if James was pulling my leg or not. My new life had all happened so fast from the morning after my birthday, and to be honest, I hadn't even looked back on it throughout my entire isolation until now. I suppose that's something I have to thank Emily's father for. He made me remember, and that's why I'm writing this now. I had indeed informed Glenn Finnegan, the manager of our apartment building, that we would be moving out, recognizing that abandoning the place, as I intended to do so with my job, would lead to questions. This was after I had cleaned up the mess in our apartment with enough bleach that I thought I was going to pass out, even with all the windows open. But I had seen CSI, so I knew I couldn't just mop the place and run away. Not if I wanted peace. 
I'm sure Glenn misheard me, I said. He was awful fond of us, and he said it disheartened him to see us go. We were reliable tenants, never made too much noise or anything. I observed his expression to see if he noted the emphasis I put on certain words. Saying Glenn was fond of us was certainly downplaying the relationship we three had developed over the years. The man, who had lost his wife years ago to cancer and had never had the heart to move on, had been like a father to us, and we were like the daughters he had never had. We usually ate a meal with him once a week and had celebrated the last five Christmases in his apartment on the bottom floor. We would all cook together and then later sing Elvis Presley songs, Glenn's favorite, together after too many drinks. If James had indeed met Glenn, he would know the love he had for us. What I observed on Emily's father's face, however, was a complete lack of reaction. I wonder how Glenn is doing. He had often told us his life had been a lonely one before Emily and I had entered into it. I wonder if he's okay. I can think these things because the keys are silent as I write this. The Royal allows me periods of rest to let that factory in my brain cool down. I have come to realize in these downtimes that while it fuels my imagination, enhancing my abilities to communicate a story, I also fuel it in that if it wanted to, it could push my mind until some vessel bursts within it, leaving me gasping for breath at my desk as blood hemorrhages into the pink-gray matter within my skull. It could do that to me, and that outcome will probably be the only way this enterprise will eventually end. I have no will or wish to stop it. Yet, it is not a device of torture or death. It is a device of need. In the same way, I need to get the story out of my head and onto the paper, so does the royal. And there are so many stories to put down. So it allows me time to rest. Its interest is my longevity to get the most out of me. I'm like a well, and the royal is the basin that I hoist down to retrieve my wonders. He seemed adamant that you said you were both leaving, remarked James, letting his words hang in the air. You wouldn't be keeping things from me. I said nothing, only held his gaze. Seconds passed, which were filled by the ticking of the cuckoo clock on the wall, an heirloom from Emily's gran. He also said that you appeared strange, not like yourself, distracted by something, which made him think you were joking at first, until he saw the apartment the next day, cleared out. Maybe you're right. Maybe he misheard or was confused. The man did have a glum look about him. Unkempt, too. He had food stains on the lapel of his cardigan when I spoke to him. Another moment passed where we just stared into each other's eyes. The funny thing is, your manager, David, also reported the same thing. Said you were distracted, barely able to follow what he told you to do. This was true. I left for work that day after my birthday feeling a satisfaction I had never known towards the finished story sitting at our kitchen table. It wasn't just the bliss of having completed a task, but a deeper serenity that reached my soul 
of feeling fulfilled by finally doing what I was supposed to do. Right. It hadn't lasted. He said you were acting so strange. He thought something awful must have happened, James continued, like you lost your parents or something. It was when I first began to hear the keys, not as the wheezy, misfiring engine that had woken me that morning. Now they produced the clatter of a finely greased machine. It was the sound of fingers working in a fury, depressing the royal's buttons at a lightning pace, and with it had come the imagery of a story, dangling like a possibility in my head. Well, I knew that was nonsense from Emily, remarked James. She told me your parents had kicked you out years ago, whenever they found out what you were. However, what David said next really caught my attention. I had tried to ignore it, to focus on my job that day, promising myself I would start it tonight. The clattering sound persisted, haunting me, showing me more people and locations that I could transcribe onto paper. See, if you write, you'll know this. An idea for a story is only ever as good as the moment it strikes you. They come like fresh water from that well, refreshing and invigorating, firing your mind to drink deeply from it. A writer does this by getting a story down as quickly as possible, because there's also a period, a short one, in which that idea stays fresh. The longer it dwells inside, the more it stagnates until eventually... The mind critiques it into something foul. My mind giveth and taketh. He said he also thought that maybe Emily was in the hospital, that something had happened to her, James informed me, sucked into the sofa. I tried to write what was in my head down on the note pages on my phone, but it was no use. The inspirational power seemed to evaporate as the clattering sound of the keys was replaced by the noise of someone slamming a jealous fist down on them, all making me winch. I understood then I needed to be at the Royal to write this story. I didn't know how or why, finding I didn't care. All I cared for was doing what I was supposed to be doing, and thinking such thoughts made me realize I didn't want to be at work any longer. He said that your face looked like someone who's shell-shocked, and that you were practically non-verbal. He sent you on your break, hoping whatever it was you could sort out. When he went to check on you, you disappeared. Not only had I left, I threw my phone into the bin on the way out. The device had been my entry point into a reality based upon the appreciation of literature but also the tooth and claw for those attempting to get noticed. I no longer needed it, and that's the same reasoning that led me to slit my girlfriend's throat. She was just another distraction from what I wanted to be. He was very concerned about the whole thing, said he had been at your birthday party the night before, and that everything seemed perfect. You and Emily were all loved up, as always. So, Sabina... He said my name like a warning. I'm going to give you one chance to tell me what's going on and where my daughter is. To emphasize this point, 
He set his now-empty Coke can on the coffee table between us. I stared at him across the rectangle of mahogany, like the rest of the cabin and me had seen better days. There were smears of food and finger marks. Not prints I don't have them anymore. All over its glossy surface. The cuckoo clock ticked on from the wall. My royal sat on its desk against the wall behind James like a crown. Or better yet, a sword of Damocles. Seeing it, I heard the first splatter of keys in my head. I stared into James's cold, muddy eyes, opened my cracked lips, and said, I bet David was concerned. The rumor of a frown appeared on James Harper's face. What do you mean? He didn't tell you? Emily and I broke up because I caught her cheating on me with David. I never used to think anything of their whispered conversations that I used to catch all the time, or how Emily always wanted to invite me to things we were doing until I looked at her phone that night after everyone left and found the messages between them. James looked at me as if I had spoken another language. I must say, even seeing it caused me some amount of pleasure. I confronted her that night. At first she tried to deny it, but in the end, she admitted that she was in love with someone else. With him. Emily's gone back to men? choked James. I ignored him, continuing with what the factory conjured up. I screamed at her something shocking, lost my voice the next day. She left around midnight or so to him. The next day was better, at least in terms of between us. We could communicate civilly through text. Though for me, it was like my whole world had spun out of its axis. She told me she wanted to live with him, and I told her I didn't want to live in the apartment anymore, which is how she came to offer me this place. I haven't heard from her since. Why didn't David tell me this? I looked at him with as much scathing skepticism I could muster. Come on, after everything you two have been through, do you think she wanted to come running back to you? She's probably doing what I'm doing here, getting my head straight before starting over again. James's eyes had left me now, their gaze internal, searching. The bastard, he said. He knew how concerned I was for her. Give the guy a break. He was probably looking out for her the same I did when she was mine. He looked at me then, really looked at me. For the first time, seeing someone who wasn't just in his way to getting what he wanted. He saw my unwashed hair, the dirty wife-beater with no bra underneath, the weight loss and the dark bags under my eyes. I saw him see it and confirm what I said was true. Christ, what happened to your fingers? He said. Just an accident, nothing major, I replied nonchalantly. That was a lie. All ten of my digits were covered in bandages that had bled through. The constant typing had caused me to lose some skin. I now used the nubs of bone underneath the gauze and wool to depress the keys. Later, after he had left, I found a dotted trail of blood that marked my trajectory about the cabin. Right. Well, thanks for letting me know that, he said, automatically dismissing me his eyes internally searching once more. 
I saw more than a twinge of joy pulling at his lips at the revelation I had dealt him. His daughter had switched back to the penis, just like he had said she would. Fucking dickhead. So Emily is allowing you to stay here, he asked, rising from his seat, avoiding my gaze once more. His question wasn't accusing, just something to fill the void while he marched out of the cabin to his car beyond. I followed him, holding the door, his feet clad in black leather shoes that looked more appropriate in a boardroom, crunched across the gravel that layered the dooryard outside. The sun had dipped behind the ridge of mountains, quilting the side I could see in the shadow, so they looked like a row of giant rotten teeth. The dooryard was also in shadow, made darker by the shade cast by the pine trees that ringed it. She did. Emily always was the generous sort. He threw me a glance over the top of his car that said, Well, we'll see about that when I speak to her next. I watched him start his engine, watched him cruise out of the yard onto the road, and watched him take the left fork that would take him out of the mountains as I grabbed the keys of my jeep from the hook beside the door. I shut it behind me and locked it, feeling the icy breeze ruffle my hair and caress at the bare parts of me, leaving me in goosebumps. The wind in the mountains is a traitorous thing, capable of whipping from a breeze into a gust strong enough to send a person tumbling over the edge to their death, or even a car. 7. Babe, it was an amazing story, Emily said to me from the passenger seat. This was after I had taken the right fork at the end of our drive, the one that's a shortcut if your vehicle is capable of handling a little off-road action. It spits you out where the left-hand fork leads. I'd parked my jeep there. Its nose pointed at the guardrail, a ribbon of silver metal on the edge of the road. On the other side was the valley stretching out like a black abyss. Time in the mountains is a lonely time. Not that I experienced it much, as I'm mostly pounding on the royal. But, like I said earlier, the machine is interested in longevity. It can kill me if it wants, and will be the death of me in the end when my mind finally succumbs to exhaustion. Until that time, it continues to allow me respite, not only to recuperate my mental abilities, but also to eat and sleep and retrieve food. These trips have been the closest to normal human interaction that I have had, and there have been times, usually before I hear that telltale sound to get back to work, that I've experienced a deep and enveloping sense of isolation. It's in these rare moments that I speak to Emily. A month ago, she started to speak back. I can hear a but in your voice, I tell her staring out of the windscreen at the road that leads to our cabin. Well, it was a little dark for me, she replied meekly. I turned to her, seeing not a corpse, but what could only be described as an angel. This is not the Emily that I knew, or even the one that resides in my memories, but an imagined version. Her outline is haloed in white light like an aura. Her white skin is unblemished and radiant. She is dressed in a white summer dress that is tight at her waist, showing off the curve of her hips and her bust. She is perfect, except for her eyes. 
They're all white and luminous. They make my skin crawl when I look into them, so I don't. I stare at the place where her jaw meets her right ear. Her throat is unharmed. You always were a scaredy cat, I told her. She giggles, a cute little hiccup of a laugh. Takes one to know one, babe, then added. I am sorry, you know. I never fully appreciated what you were capable of with your stories. I love that part of you, that you could be so devoted to a thing, and when I first met you, I wanted that thing to be me. I guess that turned into jealousy when you needed time to be alone to write. I'm sorry. A set of headlights appeared on the road leading to our cabin. They quickly disappeared around a curve, but they'd be back. Emily noticed me noticing and asked, Who's that? I switched the Jeep's engine on, but kept the lights off. Like I said, the Royal is interested in longevity. I had put Emily's father off for now, but he would return maybe with police, which would hinder my latest work. Sabina, who is that? This time the ghost of my girlfriend sounded alarmed. The headlights rounded the corner, bearing down on the T-junction in front of us. Don't worry, babe. It's just some troll. I slammed my foot on the accelerator as I made out the Mercedes symbol between the headlights. The jeep shot forward, causing me to jolt in my seat while Emily remained angelically unfazed. I had timed it well so that the nose of my vehicle would hit the car directly in the middle as soon as I switched on the headlights. There was just enough time for me to see Emily's father's head snap to the right, his hands leaving the wheel, his mouth forming an O. The Jeep's nose hit the Mercedes like a battering ram, thrusting it sideways into and through the metal guardrail with a crash of metal and glass. I could see James Harper being heaved about like a ragged doll, thanks to not wearing his seatbelt. At the last second, just before his vehicle was sent careening off into the void, his palms slapped the wrinkled passenger window. I heard those slaps, even over the roar of my motor's engine. His face was framed between his hands, and what I saw did not surprise me in the least. The face was not pleading for his life, remorseful, or even afraid. It was the face of a wild animal that's been backed into a corner and means to strike out. I can see it now, how his lips were pulled back to reveal gnashed teeth. It was the last thing I saw before the darkness of the valley took him. I didn't even hear a crash. 8. As I said, the royal lets me have moments of solitude, and it's in those moments that I have come to write this. They are the only time I get to feel something other than the drive to write. So I have written a confessional to events surrounding Emily's death, and, I suppose, James Harper's. I do not feel remorse for what I did. All my life, I dreamed of creating stories that will be talked about beyond who I am as a person. I was offered that chance, and I took it. Who wouldn't do that to achieve their dream? Anyway, I'll leave these papers here on the coffee table for whoever comes looking for Emily or me to find. I hear the clattering of the keys calling me. This story will appear in the upcoming Blood Rights Horror release from Jamie Stewart entitled 
I hear the clattering of the keys and other fever dreams. Copyright 2021. It was used here with the permission of the author and publisher.